Good morning again, Calvary. We, we are in our series that we've been in for a while. It's called Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. We're working through the gospel according to Mark. And so we're going to continue on in our series today. <clears throat> I wonder if some of you are like me and have met or have known someone who told you that it doesn't matter what anybody tells me, I'm not going to change my mind on this particular topic or this question. I remember a couple of people in my own life where this person said that, and it didn't matter. Nothing you could say, it didn't matter who said it or what you said, they would not change their mind, no matter what. And it reminds me of the story about the man who was convinced that he was dead. Maybe some of you have heard this story, but a man is convinced he's dead. His wife and his kids are exasperated. They keep telling him he's not dead, but he continues to insist that he is dead. They try telling him, look, you're not dead. You're walking, you're talking, you're breathing. How can you be dead? But he continues to insist that he's dead. The family finally takes him to the doctor. The doctor pulls out some medical books to demonstrate to him that dead men do not bleed. After some time, he admits and agrees that, okay, dead men do not bleed. Then the doctor takes the man's hand and pricks his finger with a needle. The man starts bleeding. And he looks at his finger and he says, What do you know? Dead men do bleed. <laughs> so this man had a warped view of reality. He did not see the way things really were. He had a warped view of himself. And it seemed like nothing anyone said or did would change it. And in a similar way, we often have a warped view of the world and of ourselves and of Jesus. And so today the question we'll be answering is, how do we see clearly? Specifically, how do we see Jesus and ourselves clearly? And to answer that question, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. And as we look at this passage, we will ask and answer three different questions about seeing. The first one is, why don't we see clearly or correctly? The second is, how do we begin to start to see more clearly? And then finally, what should we be seeing? So why don't we see? How do we start to see clearly? And then what should we see? So with that, I'm going to pray. And then we'll read Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Lord, you tell us that it's a blessed thing when our eyes see and when our ears hear. So now bless us with eyes to see you and ears to hear what you would tell us today through your word. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 10. Verse 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The first question, why don't we see ourselves in Jesus clearly or correctly? We don't see clearly because all of us are prone to worship idols instead of God. We are prone to worship something else other than God, and that blinds us to reality. We begin to see this in verse 51, and we also begin to see this when we look back at the previous passage. And what we'll see in the previous passage is that Jesus asked James and John the exact same question. And we're going to notice how they answer compared to how the blind man answers. So back in verse 51, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, What do you want me to do for you? And naturally he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He's been pleading for that twice already. He's been asking for mercy. And the technical definition of mercy is aid rendered to someone who is miserable or needy, especially someone who is either in debt or without claim to favorable treatment. Bartimaeus wants mercy from Christ. And Christ is the right person to ask for mercy. Now let's contrast Bartimaeus with what he says, with what James and John say. Look back at verses 35 and 37 with me. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Bartimaeus asked for mercy, and James and John asked for glory. And we should pick up on the irony in this passage. The irony is that Bartimaeus, who is blind, sees a heck of a lot more clearly than James and John. Bartimaeus sees his need for Christ. He sees his need for mercy. But James and John, who can physically see very clear, are blind to it. All they can think about is the glory for themselves. That's what they want. So for James and John, they have worshipped and idolized glory, success, whatever it might be, and that has blinded them to their need for Christ. It has blinded them of their true condition and of who Jesus really is. In Psalm 115, verse 4 through 8, we read about how idolatry blinds us and warps our view of reality. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. 
They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. They become blind. So do all who trust in them. In our, in our culture today, we use the phrase, I've heard it used a few times, rose-colored glasses. I've heard this in high school, college, usually it's with people dating. There's one guy, for instance, who likes a girl, and he only likes her because she's pretty. And we say, you have rose-colored glasses about this girl. You can't see any of the problems you know, in her, like these character problems, she's not a Christian, she's not all these things, but he's blind to it. He's just infatuated with this girl because he wants to be with her. And it doesn't matter what you say, nothing is going to convince him that this is a really bad idea. He has rose-colored glasses on. And one way to get at this in our own hearts, a way to sort of test yourself, is to ask the question that Jesus asked. What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus came in here and asked every one of you, what do you want me to do for you, what would you tell him? And to be honest, what would you really tell him? I wonder for some of us, if we asked him, we might say, I do, I want a husband, or I want a wife. I want a family. I want children. I want my pain to go away. Maybe for some of us, if we're really honest, we'll say, God, I want you to bring justice to my enemy. There's somebody I don't like who has hurt me, and I want you to destroy this person's reputation or destroy this person. Coming in this morning, I asked myself that same question, and I had a really good spiritual answer. I said, oh, Jesus, I want to preach well. And if I really dig deep, what that means is I want what James and John want. I want the glory. I want to look good. I could cover up by saying, well, I want to glorify God and I want to encourage Calvary. And that's, sure, that's true. But if I dig deep down, I know in my heart, I want to look good. And that's why I want to do good as a preacher. That it's an idol. It's something I worship. That same thing that James and John was after. So with that in mind, how do we start to see clearly? How do we remove those rose-colored glasses? There are a number of different ways to do this. But one way that we see in our passage is through suffering. God will often use suffering to remove the blinders and to remove those glasses. That in our suffering, we begin to realize very quickly what we've been trusting in and hoping in all along. Let's look back at verse 46 through 48. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So when we look at Bartimaeus' life, we know he has been through great suffering. He's blind. And he's begging, and he is literally 
on the margins. He's on the margins of this road or on this way. People look down on him. They tell him to be quiet. He has gone through great suffering. And yet it's through great suffering that we often see our great need for Christ. Bartimaeus has no illusions about the fact that he is broken and that he is needy. And God so often does that through pain and through suffering. And this is also why a few passages earlier, when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, that he tells us that it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And it's not because there's anything inherently sinful about being rich or anything inherently sinful about money. But it's really simple what he's getting at. If you have lots of money and lots of wealth, you usually have a much more comfortable life. You usually don't have the same kinds of pains and sufferings like most people. And when you do that, you can often be blind to the fact that we are spiritually broken and needy people. And so that's why it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because they are so often blind to their need. And so God will use our pain to wake us up. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If Lewis is too intellectual for you, I'll give you the more simple version. A pastor friend of mine was always fond of saying that God loves you enough to not give you your idol. God loves you enough to not give you your idol. And when he doesn't give it to you, it'll hurt. And it'll be painful. And so for us, Calvary, and for you specifically, as you go through suffering, if you are currently in suffering, if you have been through suffering, I want us to begin to ask questions like these. Jesus, what are you trying to teach me in this suffering? What are you trying to show me? What are the possible idols that I might be clinging to? What do you want me to see? When I was involved with a college ministry in school, I saw this play out all the time with new students who got involved in the ministry. I heard this sort of story time and time again. So there'd be a new student, he recently trusted in Christ, he's involved in the ministry, and his story went something like this. In high school, my life revolved around this thing. Usually for a guy, it was sports. It was football or basketball or baseball or something. And then in my senior year or junior year, I tore my ACL, or I blew up my knee, or I broke my ankle. And what he built his life on crumbled in his hands. His whole life fell apart because his life was built on being a football star or something. And he had nothing. And it was in his brokenness and in his neediness that he finally saw his need for Christ. And someone shared Christ with him, with him, and he trusted in Christ. And I heard that story over and over again in college. That's because God will use our pain and our brokenness to wake us up to our need for him. Now with that in mind, with that pain, what is he trying to show us specifically in light of this passage? What should we see? We need to see first who we really are, And then second, we need to see who Jesus really is. 
So first, who we are. We need to identify with Bartimaeus. We need to realize that we are blind beggars in desperate need of the mercy of Christ. Look back at verse 47 and 48 with me. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is physically broken and needy. He is also spiritually needy and broken, like all of us. Now notice as well for Bartimaeus what he doesn't ask for. He's a beggar, so he's poor. So he could have simply asked for money. And he could have asked anybody. He didn't have to ask Jesus for that. In fact, asking Jesus for money would have been a bad idea because Jesus didn't have a lot of money. He was pretty poor as well. He had no place where he could lay his head. Also notice that if Bartimaeus only wanted healing, he could have received healing and just left. But notice that when Jesus heals him, what does Bartimaeus do? Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and went off on his own way. It doesn't say that. And followed him on the way. Bartimaeus sees his need for Jesus. He wants Jesus. He wants to be with him. And so he will choose to follow Jesus And if you know where Jesus is going, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and to the cross. And Bartimaeus is joining him. He is on the way with 